You're listening to Country Life with Keith Fahey on Galway Bay FM. Good evening, I'm Keith Fahey and welcome to this week's edition of Country Life. On the show this week, we'll be speaking to Jack Kennedy, the new editor of the Irish Farmers Journal. We'll be talking to Michal Kelly on the new Chagas event that's happening this Friday. We'll be speaking to Damien O'Reilly from ICOS and we'll also be talking to Michael Egan from Megafeb uh, with the Galway-based Tipsy Bin Meal Company. Plus, we will have all the latest from all the March uh, reports from uh, around Galway. And, if, and as always, if you'd like to contact the show, if you have any queries or topics you'd like covered, don't hesitate to email us on countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie. That's countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie. So just in relation to the two March report this week, there was a 785 kilo limousine cross cow made 2,210 or 282 a kilo. A pair of 672 kilo limousine cross cows made 1920 or 286 a kilo. Some sample heifer Heifer prices included a 390 kilo limousine cross heifer selling for 1100 or 282 a kilo, a 545 kilo heifer sell, Charlie heifer selling for 1820 or 334 a kilo, a 460 kilo Charlie bullock Charlie cross bullock met 1480 or 322 a kilo, a 720 kilo Angus cross bullock met 2260 or 3 euro and 14 cent a kilo. Some sample heifer weighing prices from Chew Mart included a 355 kilo Charlie cross heifer. He, uh, Heifer making a uh, weaning heifer making eleven hundred or three ten a kilo. A limousine cross weighing two seventy kilos uh, sold for nine forty or three forty eight kilos. Uh, some sample weaning bull prices from Tume included a three hundred and eighty five kilo limousine cross bull weaning sold for thirteen ten or three forty a kilo. A pair of Charlie cross limous uh, Charlie cross three ninety two kilo uh, weaning bull sold for thirteen ten or three thirty four a kilo. A 335 kilo Belgian Blue Cross uh, weaning bull sold for 1200 or 3.38 a kilo. So first up this evening, we're delighted to have Jack Kennedy on the line. So as a lot of our listeners will be very familiar with Jack um, from the Irish Farmers Journal. Um, you've also um, gotten the, the job of becoming editor, uh, Jack. So very congratulations to you. Um, brilliant, a, a, a very good honour and, and a substantial role in uh, Irish agriculture. Um, you know, you've had a lot of experience with the Farmers Journal um, for the last number of years. Um, um, you're writing on the dairy, the dairy side of the house and many other sides. So firstly, I suppose, uh, Jack, uh, congrats on the role and uh, uh, thanks for coming on Country Life. Yeah, not a, not a bother, uh, Keith. No, great, great to be um, on the show and, and thanks for that. And yeah, look, at it, it, is, it, is, it, is, it is an honour to, to get the position. But um, look, at it, we, 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 we have to kind of, I suppose, keep the ethos of farming and what they're about kind of central to what, to what we do. So um, that, that has always been the case. And look, at it, hopefully under my tenure, it will continue to be the case that that the farmer is is central, and we have to be we have to be close to what's happening on farms, and and our team that we have in the journal are spread right across Ireland. Like, um, so let, look, we have to try and reflect what's happening out there, um, very much so. So yeah, no, all good. And so, Jack, I suppose, where do you see Irish agriculture at the moment? We'll say in terms of strengths, maybe challenges, uh, and opportunity, and what's maybe your opinion of it in the next uh, four to five years? I mean, Keith, it's it, it's great to jazz, like because I mean. We, uh, luckily enough, as you say, through my through my work in the in the journal, um, I've been lucky enough to be able to travel around the world. You know, in terms of various uh, gigs, and it's, and it's not just kind of the dairy side of things. It's always like it's farming in general, to be honest with you. You know, and and um, you know, so many other countries strive to try and get what we have here in Ireland in terms of a grass based production system, whether it's beef, sheep, dairy, or or whatever. Like so many countries around the world are looking 
to try and, and uh, get that system. But but they can't for one reason or another, whether it's uh, rainfall, whether it's soil type, whether it's uh, temperature, whether it's, um, you know, other sector, other industries, other sectors will say where there's pressure on them. So they, they don't, they don't, they, 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 they can't make it work as, as we can here in Ireland in terms of that whole grass-based side of things like so. I, I think without a shadow of a doubt, Keith, that's, that's definitely our, 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 our calling card to farming and to agriculture and to producing food in Ireland like we do. Um, I, you know, I mean, you, you, you don't have to travel. You sit in a plane and in two or three hours, you, you could potentially be in a country that can't do agriculture or can't produce food like we do here in, in, in Ireland. And, and they'd love to be able to do it, but can't, you know. So I think there's a kind of a moral obligation um, key donors in terms of if, if we can produce the food sustainably and I, and I mean it's not it, it can't be the environment or production like it has to be both it has to be everything because your listeners your farmers like won't won't be in business like unless they're they, what they do is sustainable for the environment and sustainable for the soil you know so I think we can do sustainable food production very well and a lot of other countries can't so I think that's definitely our competitive piece going forward in terms of being able to try and produce good quality food to a huge high standard um, relative to a lot of the other places in the world. So that's, I think that's our, that's our competitive piece. And I think that that will be our calling card, um, Keith, for the, next, for the next couple of years in terms of, especially given where we are now in terms of the political world and the, the, the war in Ukraine and all that's happening there. Food security is definitely more, is higher on the agenda than what it was albeit that we've a kind of a new round of policy and, and cap reform taken off at the moment as well, which is going to impact uh, your, your decisions that your listeners have on their farms, etc., and that kind of thing. So, look, at, I think, I think in, in short, Keith, that's where we are in terms of food and food production in a sustainable manner will definitely be kind of the key, the key fulcrum for the next couple of years. Okay. And I suppose, Jack, you know, as editor of uh, the Farmer's Journal, who have, uh, I think it's 380,000 um, viewers every week and, and readership. So it's a it's a massive um, chunk of the population, even in Ireland. Um, I suppose, you know, we had Justin McCarthy there as the previous editor, who, you know, who did a good job. Are you going to throw your own stamp on it, uh, Jack, or how are you going to approach that? Yeah, look, I, I think every, everyone does. And, and I mean, you we as you, um, it might change overnight, you know, but definitely over time things evolve and, and you get new innovations and, you know, my team will say in the journal are always coming into my office looking for looking for new things and looking for new ideas and looking to get involved in various different parts of different projects, you know, so that, that inevitably means that there will be change and is change and, and you know, there's always, you know, uh, people coming and going from the journal every, every, all the time as well, you know, in terms of new people coming on, joining the team, and, and others moving on to different sectors. So, look at it, yeah, definitely, look at I'll be trying to, 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 to put a, to a flavour on that and put a bit of a change on it, and there'll be, you know, but it won't, it won't happen overnight, but it'll definitely mean that we, that there will be changes, like, and, and I mean, you're, you're very familiar, Keith, like, in terms of, like, there's a whole, there, there is a big move towards um, the environmental side of things and sustainability side of things and all the different schemes, whether that's acres or, um, you know the organics or forestry, etc. So obviously that's going to be high in the agenda until kind of we sort it out in terms of how that fits in with kind of I call it normal or normal commercial production agriculture. You know, so there's definitely a piece there that's going to happen. But I mean, we're all the time trying to get more young farmers involved and, and more part-time farmers in, involved as well because that's just the reality. Is that there are there are more um, young farmers that might not necessarily be landowners, Keith, but they're involved in the farms to some extent. And and the same with the part-time farmers, like you know they. They're a big cohort now when they weren't in the past, you know. So 
um, we have to try and kind of, I suppose, adjust our content so that they can kind of uh, capture it and, and understand it and, and um, yeah, be part of it. So, look, but there's, there's definitely changes uh, that are going to, going, to, going to happen, Keith. But, I mean, our, our, our key role is to support and inform farmers um, effectively in terms of what they, what they do on a kind of a daily basis. So, um, that that won't remain the same, but look, they're definitely they're different. They're definitely will be changing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm a, a part-time farmer myself as well, Jack, and you know a lot of. Uh uh, my friends and that would be part-time farmers as well so it's interesting to see all, you know it's it's even interesting to see I suppose when you see the likes of you know you have your My Farming Week there we'll say in the Farmer's Journal it's very interesting to see what maybe what other people are doing and you know it's so varied as well you know you have dairy farms beef farms you had guy with, with Dexter's the other day um, you know chickens uh, it's interesting to see you know I suppose as farmers maybe we kind of you know whether you're beef sheep tillage or dairy you can get very focused focused on your own farm and uh, sometimes I suppose maybe we don't think enough outside the box and you know you see a lot of different farmers here we had the friendly farmer Nathan Rye there who you might be familiar with who you know grows his own veg and sells it and raises chickens and that and he's really diversified so we've had a lot of different speakers on the last couple of months but you know there's loads of opportunities there for people to do uh, different um, things on their farm Jack. Yeah without a shadow of a doubt and it's as you say Keith it's, it's uh, you're you're all landowners, like you know what I mean. Whether you're leasing or own or outright or whatever, and and you're you're trying to do your best for for what time you have in terms of resource. If you if you have time, what how many number of hours a week you can get into it or whatever alongside some other kind of a role. So, I mean that's that, I think I think that's the that's the the future for a lot of uh, uh, people that are interested in 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 in, uh, in farming in rural Ireland at the moment. You know, so you have to you have to yeah you have to you have to be able to kind of match that in terms of Making sure that that you have that that the right content is there and that it comes in in, in various different formats, as you say, whether it's in print, like with my farming week, or whether it's a, uh, something else, you know, some other content on on a on a video or something like that, you know, that you have to try and and, and evolve and see how that piece happens. Um, so yeah, without without a shadow of a doubt, and as you say, the, the diversification of enterprises that are there now, there's more and more information available to others in terms of different types of maybe non-mainstream type of farming, you know. But I mean. There's still, you know, the big change on the livestock side is probably the move into the kind of the dairy beef animals, you know, and maybe a lot of your listeners up that part of the country like are, are maybe looking, you know, to, to rear a few calves as opposed to maybe keep more suckler cows or, or, or vice versa. You know, I mean, it, 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 uh, and there's a new learning aspect there for them in terms of, of trying to think of what, what type of calves and how, how long to, to uh, how long it takes to get them to a certain stages, et cetera, and that kind of thing, you know. So that's, that's definitely uh, kind of the changes that are, that are happening um, at, at at farm level, and uh, yeah, we have to we have to change to to reflect that as well. Like, yeah, and as well as the farmers' journal, I suppose you you have you know responsibilities well for you know you've a lot of other different sections as well. We'll say it's maybe it's you know it's it's a farmers' journal, but it's not exactly you know it's not always for farmers and not only for farmers. Should I say you've got the country living section there as well, yeah. Jack, and you know covering a range of different topics, um, agri and non-agri related, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Because I mean, listen, it, it, they're, they're family farms in the majority, as you know, and, and that's the competitive strength that we have. That there's, there's there's more than one person really that that that's uh, that's working and, and enjoying farming. We'll say in Ireland, like you know. So yeah, we have country living, as you say, and we also have a magazine, the Irish Country Magazine, that comes out seven or eight times a year. You know, so again, that's a that's a higher uh, dusty type magazine. Um, 
so I mean again there's 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 those products and and then there's all the pieces of our we we various events around the country and we have you know we you know we've 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 done various bits and pieces whether to the recently we did a cap road show in terms of just trying to inform farmers so we were up and down the country for for um, eight or nine eight or nine different venues and then we had a nitrates road show as well informing farmers around uh, the whole nitrate season what's happening there um, so like yeah, as you say there's 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 different products. There's uh, some, as you say, maybe even non-farmer type stuff, uh, but that's, that's equally as important now, you know, in terms of the legal aspect of it, the business aspect of it, and, and trying to understand that because there's there's easy gains there for some businesses to try and, and, and capture that as well, which is which is which is very important. Yeah. Yeah, you mentioned calf to beef there as well. You also have the the Tullamore Farm, uh, which is a suckler and sheep, but you you also have the the Thrive Farm demonstration farm there as well. So you you suppose you're kind of broadening your um your horizons as well in that with, with the Tullamore Farm and the Thrive program as well. I suppose, Jack. Yeah, I mean, you see, the way we we work at Keith is we we think that gives us fierce, rich content. Like, I mean, in terms of it's it's really like we we for full transparency so whatever happens on Tullamore Farm if five cows died like we have to write it we have to tell the story like we can't hide up hide anything and we don't want to hide anything and that's why we have these businesses so that the farmers so that it reflects what, what happens on farmers like you know what I mean um, in terms of if there was a problem with technique we have to talk about it we write about it and that might warn others that listen there is an issue with technique let's you know do something about it um, or whatever or that the land the sheep that we've we have, you know, the close on 300 yards lambing down there um, at the moment on, on Tullamore Farm. And, um, you, you know, if there's any challenges there or how we record or how we make it more sustainable, like we've carbon sampled, like three years ago now, we carbon sampled the whole farm and we did assessments on all the other aspects of sustain- environmental sustainability to try, and, to try and make it better and to try to showcase for farmers, they can come and see and walk and talk and see that farm for themselves as a real life functioning farm, you know. And, and so that's, yeah, it's, 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 it's a way of trying, we feel, to try and get real good content that, that just shows that we're not kind of in an ivory tower above in Dublin. We're at, we, we kind of, we have full control over these businesses and they have to, they have to work for us um, as, as well as kind of farmers on the ground, you know. So, yeah, definitely it puts us front and centre. Uh, the Voice of Ireland's Farming Industry, your logo on the front page of the, the, farmers, the Irish Farmers Journal. Uh, the Voice, I suppose, uh, in terms of you know, digital um, media, it's obviously becoming, you know, massive. You know, we all have our smartphones and we're looking at apps. Are you finding a lot more people uh, using your app, um, Jack? Or, you know, in as a rule of thumb, we'd say uh, three, you have 380,000 um, of an audience or um, we'll say, you know, what way is that? Is the majority of that now coming online or is it the paper yeah. every Thursday? No, we, like, Again, I suppose, like any business, uh, Keith, we didn't know which way what was going to happen in terms of uh, media and how it's consumed. But we're actually still finding, and we and we thought, like, I mean, if you were to if you were to see what's happening in terms of the daily newspapers, you kind of say that you could be out of business in five years' time, you know. But uh, but but print for us is still our mainstay. It's unbelievable in terms of how solid it is because I suppose it is a it is a different type of a product to to the kind of daily newspapers in terms of it's a kind of a, a weekly product and it's, um, you know, it's a kind of a niche piece. Like it's a, it's a, it's a farming uh, business. It's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's not just a daily newspaper, you know. News has become commoditized in that, it's, as you say, it's on, a, on, a, on every feed on Google or 
Facebook or whatever, you can get news, like, you know, but just getting getting a technical piece like what we do there every week is a bit different and that's what sets us apart and that's why our, our readership and our print sales are, are holding up. But but at the same time, as you say, you can't just kind of stay at that and, and expect it to stay, stay the same. So we have our apps and we have our various other programs and et cetera on, online and all that. And, and you have to do that key to kind of, because there is a, a cohort of maybe younger readers or whatever that, that are not necessarily kind of close to the to the print piece or don't have access to the print piece every every day or every week. So yeah, we 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 are developing that and we continue to develop that and, and continue to evolve in that space. But but in the main it's still a largely printed audience and we're obviously online. Like, I mean we've fifteen or twenty stores going up every line online every day if someone is cares to kind of follow it that tightly like it was a kind of a way. So we, we have to do that as well because you you just can't not do it. So um, yeah, we have we have that as well uh, every day. But but the print piece is kind of still super at that in terms of bringing it all together for for that someone that's maybe not consuming the digital farming piece on a, on a kind of a daily basis. Uh, very good, Jack. Uh, thanks very much for coming on Country Life. We appreciate it very and the very best luck uh, in your new role. Um, very um, a fantastic role. Um, we wish you all the best and uh, so uh, good luck with it. And thanks for coming on Country Life. Brought to you by Your Credit Union. Renovate. Your credit union is the foundation to your home renovations. Credit unions in Ireland are regulated by the Central Bank. Terms and conditions apply. So we're delighted to have Damien O'Reilly um, on the line with us. Uh, a lot of you would have been familiar with uh, Damien, who pre- previously presented Countrywide. Uh, Damien, you're very welcome on to uh, Country Life. It's a, it's a weird feeling, uh, me asking you questions um, after listening to you for so many years on uh, Countrywide. Um, so you have a new role um, with ICOS, uh, Damien, I suppose. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, the, the current role? Yes, Keith. Uh, hello and good evening to you and to all your listeners. And I suppose it is a sliding doors moment in terms of me now being on the other side of the microphone, having uh, spent, oh, well, over 25 years working in radio, beginning uh, in local radio in your n- not too far away from where you are there in Shannon Side, Northern Sound, where I spent five years uh, learning uh, the basics, I suppose, and, and uh, of broadcasting and indeed on, on agri-broadcasting and really cut my teeth uh, there in local radio before joining RTE in 1998 and um, spending almost a quarter of a century uh, working mainly on agricultural programmes, but having had the the luck as well of working across other areas and presenting other high-profile shows on on Radio 1 over the years. But, um, yeah, I suppose last year an opportunity arose, um, and I suppose I'm at that stage of my life where, you know, all of us, and probably will come to you as well at some stage in the the future, Keith, but take your time, you're young enough yet, but there is, I suppose, a period in... In, in all of our lives where we, we take stock of where we are and where we're going. And I suppose the way I look at it, I'm, I'm past the halfway stage now in my working career. And um, I was considering my, my future with RTE, where I really enjoyed my time there, um, really enjoyed presenting Countrywide. We won awards. We built up a huge listenership. And I felt maybe now is the time to look at Horizons New or else stay there until I retire, which a lot of people do. They make a full career out of broadcasting uh, and working with uh, a big organization like RTE for their entire careers. And, you know, I could have taken that uh, easier route, but um, I like challenges and the opportunity arose to uh, take up a new role with uh, the Irish Cooperative Organization Society uh, in Brussels, where they've had an office for 50 years. And in a few weeks time, along with the IFA, um, ICOS will be uh, celebrating 50 years in uh, Brussels. So I'm, I'm the latest incumbent to sit behind the desk there. And uh, it really is uh, an exciting new job that I have. 
uh, as EU Affairs and Communications uh, Manager, the EU Affairs side of things is basically uh, keeping an eye on and working with uh, legislators in Brussels on matters of interest to our members. Uh, a lot of them will be listening to you. They will be uh, members of, of co-ops, uh, big or small, or big and small, uh, around Ireland. ICOS represents about uh, 130 uh, co-ops, uh, from, from the biggest right down to uh, quite small operations. So a lot of legislation that happens in Brussels uh, affects how co-ops uh, and how agriculture generally works in Ireland and, and across Europe. Uh, so it's my role, I suppose, there to be the link and the liaison um, going in both directions between Dublin and Brussels and, and Brussels and uh, Dublin. And indeed, um, my role as a communications manager as well is obviously to try and, I suppose, um, make ourselves a little more visible um, to the broader public and to our members in terms of, of what we do, because we, 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 uh, we work pretty hard in, in ICOS uh, to, to, on, on a daily basis, somewhat quietly behind the scenes, but there's a lot going on there. So um, I'm, I'm delighted to be talking to yourself, for example, on, on my new role. And I'm really excited. I'm, I'm literally getting my feet under the, the table as, as we speak as such. Uh, and it's going to take time to get used to my new surroundings and indeed being on the other side of the microphone, for example. Very good, very good, very um, interesting and challenging uh, role. I suppose in terms of Irish agriculture, you know, you're working in Europe. How is Irish produce regarded, we'll say, in other countries in uh, in Europe? You know, we see obviously our main bread and butter, I suppose, is, is the UK in terms of uh, exports of beef and lamb and milk and that. But, you know, I suppose the likes of Germany are massive importers of Irish butter and that. But I suppose in terms of other countries, you know, how... Uh, you know, when you go into different cities across Europe, are you seeing a lot of Irish produce in uh, the different shops? Ireland, of course, exports over 15 billion euros worth of food and drink right across the world. And um, that's thanks mainly to the work of, of Bourbier in finding markets and consolidating those markets, along with smaller food producers who work independently as well uh, with, uh, with, with international buyers in other countries. Um, I suppose, yeah, you, 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 you've mentioned there Kerry Gold Butter and the huge success story that that is. I mean, our, our you know, beef and dairy exports are, I suppose, the flagships uh, across the world because of where we're plonked on the globe. Um, we're ideally suited to producing beef and dairy and grass-fed beef and, and, and dairy, and that's why we, I suppose, produce quite a lot of it. Now, you know, there are challenges facing dairy and beef farming into the future. Uh, we have a climate crisis, and, you know, farmers are cognizant of that. Legislators are cognizant of that. And we all have to work together, I suppose, into the future to try and, and navigate a situation whereby we can continue uh, to supply global markets that want our produce with uh, beef and dairy and other produce, uh, while at the same time doing it in a way that does not, um, you know, harm the planet. So that's the, you know, that's the twin track challenge that, uh, that we all face. How do we actually continue to sustain farmer incomes in County Galway, for example, uh, where farmers are, are, are uh, livestock farmers are, are working to make a living, while at the same time uh, reducing our carbon footprint. So that's one of the big anomalies that's facing us. But in the meantime, as you say, we got to play to our strengths. And um, of course, I do always look uh, in, in the supermarkets for the Irish produce. I um, haven't seen too much of it in, in Belgium, I have to admit, um, because I suppose, you know, the Belgians are very proud of their own beef produce as well. And countries are somewhat protectionist like that. And, um, you know, we take great pride in, in walking into a restaurant 
or into a supermarket, be it in, in Dubai, for example, or in Shanghai, and seeing Irish produce on the shelves, and which I have in the past in my, in my previous role. Uh, but at the same time, you've got you to gotta remember that there are farmers and food producers in those countries as well um, that like the idea of their own produce uh, being bought uh, locally. So while um, you know, we are net exporters of, of a lot of the food that we produce, we do import quite a lot of, of food and calories into this country as well from other countries where obviously uh, the climate and the temperature uh, and, and, and I suppose the farming systems that they have are conducive to them producing the sort of food that we can't produce. So I suppose that's the way I suppose the common agricultural policy has evolved over the years where those countries have been left to concentrate on I suppose, supporting farmers in what they're doing best. Um, and it means that has come maybe at the expense of, of other sectors of agriculture. For example, you know, vegetable producers in Ireland, uh, a lot of them, I suppose, just can't compete with, with the imports that are, are coming in from, from other parts of the world, particularly in the Mediterranean, where, as I said, the weather and the systems are conducive to producing it in, in bulk and cheaper there than it would be to, to obviously grow them in Ireland. Likewise, we're depending on international markets, not only in Europe, but right across the world. Uh, and as I said, in, particularly in, in the Middle East, uh, North Africa, the MENA countries, uh, to, to buy our produce because, you know, it's, it's not easy to grow, I suppose, um, grass or, 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 or rare animals uh, that produce beef and dairy in, in those countries. So I think we're doing very well in that regard in terms of this year being a record for the value of exports, uh, published a few weeks ago, 15.6 billion euros worth of food and drink. And the aim is obviously to keep, keep increasing that value um, and possibly the volume as well but to do it in an environmentally uh, sustainable uh, manner. So they're, they're the challenges uh, that face us. But I think certainly one little anecdote, if I can give it to you, Keith, I remember many years ago being in the famous Burj Al Arab Hotel in Dubai. You might be familiar yeah. with it. The, yeah. One of the most famous hotels, uh, iconic. Um, and I was very lucky to be invited there um, to uh, an event. And I interviewed the head chef there. And um, he told me that they were uh, basically feeding their guests uh, uh, with Irish beef and with Cologne yogurt, and you know these are these are guests that are paying ten, twelve, maybe twenty grand a night to stay there. Wow. And when I asked him, you know, why Irish beef and why Irish dairy produce, and he says, when his customers are paying so much money, they deserve the best uh, produce. And he was a French chef who travelled the world and found that Irish beef and Cologne yogurt, as one example to name a brand. Um, we're, we're, we're the best uh, for his for his um, for his business. Wow! Yeah, so you're you're talking at the elite end of the scale there for Irish beef. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, um, and you know we do have uh, a lot of customers in Dubai and Abu Dhabi and in the Middle East as well. And you know Borbia have offices there, and a lot of the well-known Irish dairy and uh, beef uh, uh, companies and and, and co-ops um, have a footprint in those countries. Um, so. When you ask me about, you know, going into the supermarkets in Brussels and spotting any Irish produce, there's a good a chance of maybe spotting that in, in spinnies in, in downtown Dubai as there, as there are in a Carrefour in Brussels. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. Um, uh, Damien, I suppose, you know, you're communicating, you know, you're dealing with a lot of different people, you're dealing with co-ops, you're dealing with companies, legislators, you know, on a daily basis. And I suppose to bring that, break that chain down would say, do you think maybe that the link between the farmer and the consumer um, is tight enough and we'll say, you look at the likes of, even take, for example, Clarkson's Farm. Um, I don't know if you have watched it or not, but uh, like he's getting a lot of publicity um, now 
uh, he's a great man to create publicity as well. But, uh, you know, throughout Ireland and the UK, um, it's amazing the viewership he's gotten and like how little some uh, members of pub of the public have on farming. You know, a lot of the people who are not from farms at all will say have been watching Clarkson's Farm, for example. And, you know, they really didn't understand, uh, you know, how much uh, red tape, I suppose, for a better word, uh, that farmers go through, whether it's registering calves, buying fertiliser, spraying, regulations, your Borbia inspections and that, the red tractor over there. Uh, you know, just uh, the link maybe, uh, Damien, between the consumer and the farmer. Yeah, I mean, when I was in primary school, which is neither today or yesterday, we'll say go back to the 80s. Uh, and I grew up in Dublin, in Castlenock, so I grew up in, in the suburbs of, of Dublin, of country parents. Uh, the majority of, of, of classmates that I had, obviously born and bred and living in, 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 in beside the Phoenix Park in Castlenock, um, that's where they grew up, but they would have all more or less had a connection, as far as I remember, with farming, in that, you know, one or both parents were from the country, and certainly in, in all cases where one or both parents from the country, uh, they would have had an uncle or a grandparent or more than that that actually had, um, uh, that were running a farm. You've got to remember when we joined the EEC back 50 years ago, I think something like 25% of the workforce were, were in farming. Uh, that's probably about 5 to 7% now. So, you know, as the years have gone on and as, as, as the generations have, have moved on, um, we are, to use that old cliche, we are moving another generation away from the land. Uh, so there are, you know, youngsters now in primary schools in, in suburban Dublin uh, where I would have gone to school that were never on a farm and probably never will be on a farm and will never actually see animals, uh, big or small, up, up close. Um, and that may be difficult to believe for your listeners that are from farming backgrounds and, and living in the countryside, but that is the case. And uh, as we become more diverse as well um, and cities become bigger, uh, it means that, you know, people understanding how food is actually produced, we cannot take that for granted. Um, and, you know, there are funny surveys out there that are published every so often, be it in the UK or Ireland, about, you know, where people think their milk comes from or where uh, people think, uh, you know, their fruit and veg comes from and all of that. Um, but uh, I think there certainly is a role for people like yourself in the media um, and I suppose organisations like ourselves uh, in, in ICOS, because co-ops are... are are, are, are run by farmers and by shareholders uh, in the non-farm co-ops. You know, and I think that's a really sustainable model going forward as such. Um, so we need to be able to, to explain to consumers um, you know, how food is produced and how delicate food security is. And we see that right now because of what's happening in Ukraine, partly. But, you know, the, the, as well as the, how delicate the, the food system is globally and even locally as well. And that maybe that's the reason why we should be thinking a little bit more about, you know, uh, how our food is produced, how sustainably it's, it's produced, and maybe why we probably need to pay a little bit more for our food and, I suppose, appreciate the role of the farmer a little more. Farmers have, have always adapted, uh, Keith, over the years, you know, and they continue to face challenges. And policies that, you know, farmers had to adhere to 25, 30 years ago are now flipped completely on, on, on its head and farmers have been forced to, to, to change, uh, I suppose, the, you know, the, the way their farming systems uh, to, to meet the criteria of the, of the policies that are, are emerging all the time from places like Brussels and they are becoming more challenging. Um, so I think, you know, legislation in Brussels is driven by, uh, I suppose, consumer demand and consumer wishes because we elect MEPs and uh, the makeup of the parliament 
is a reflection, I suppose, of the makeup of society right across Europe. And it's not maybe as rural and as farmer friendly as it once was. So we have to be constantly so was on the front foot in um, maintaining as good a link as possible with consumers and farmers so that consumers, once they're, as, well as, as you say, you know, in full knowledge and, you know, are, are given the facts about what's involved in the food chain and how food is produced and the sort of rules and regulations which farmers and food producers much as, much, might uh, need to adhere to, it might influence maybe their, their purchasing habits uh, into into the future. And um, yeah, I think it's really important as we, as I said, move a further generation away from the land that we don't take for granted that consumers know exactly everything about how farming uh, works. And sometimes um, ignorance uh, breeds contempt in, in, in that regard. Uh, Damien, thanks very much for coming on Country Life, I must say. It, it was an honour to have you on and uh, to have you on the show. Um, uh, you know, I spent years listening to you every um, Saturday. So uh, thanks very much for coming on uh, Country Life. It's uh, it's great to get a, an insight into what you're doing. And, you know, a lot of farmers, you know, when we're doing our basic payments or the new bits and Chris and all that and all the regulations, you know, it's, it's nice to know maybe a little bit on the background of it, where it comes from and, you know, how many people are involved and actually um, in the decision making so thanks very much uh, for coming on Country Life You're more than welcome Keith and keep up the good work there as I said I, I started on, on local radio and it was a great um, foundation for me to uh, to get where I, where I am now so uh, the very best of luck to you and uh, thanks for thanks for uh, giving me the chance to talk to you Country Life brought to you by your credit union personal lending from small to big celebrate the special occasions in life with a personal loan from your credit union Credit unions in Ireland are regulated by the Central Bank. Terms and conditions apply. So you're welcome back after the break. We're delighted to have Michal Kelly from Chagas and Athen Rye with us. Um, so Michal, you have a future beef uh, spring walk coming up um, on a farm uh, in uh, Ardrahan. You might tell us maybe a little bit about it, uh, what's going to be covered and how people can find out more about it. Uh, thanks, Keith. Yeah, we're doing a spring grass walk on the future beef farm of Angus Fahey. I suppose Angus is our first monitor farm in South Galway. Um, the future beef program is just, I suppose, how to maximise productivity and efficiency by doing it in a, a sustainable manner um, and just, you know, uh, meeting all environmental obligations. So it's the first event on his farm. Uh, what we're going to go through, I suppose, look at Angus's Kevin. Angus's Kevin, uh, 30 suckler cows. He starts Kevin the first week in February. Um, we're going to go through, we'll say, I suppose, getting stock out to grass early. He's a fairly good system in place there with paddocks. Infrastructure has, is, has improved a lot on the farm over the last couple of years. Um, he's cattle out at grass almost straight away after Kevin. So we're going to go through the benefits of getting out early. We're going to go through a bit on his grazing regime and his fertilizer plan. Uh, we have a live demo. There's a local contractor coming there with a low emission slurry, slurry spreader. Um, and we'll go through the benefits of that versus the splash plate and just kind of the comparisons of those systems. We also have um, two fertilizer spreaders. We have a wagtail and a disc spreader coming 
uh, we're going to go through how you set those up and the reason why settings have to be changed, just given different fertilizers. So, Michal, if you just could give our listeners uh, maybe some more details again. So, you have, uh, you have the spring rotation planner, you have an introduction to the farm, you have the um, benefits of slurry, you have the live demo, which should be very interesting, um, on the, um, the slurry, low emission slurry equipment, and you're also calibrating the, the fertilizer spreaders as well. So, there'll be different boards in that as well. So, the, there's obviously an awful lot of, of there for farmers, and I suppose, you know, in Gaul, there's a lot of sucker cows, a lot of part-time farmers as well. You know, it'll be very um, beneficial to a lot of maybe farmers that are farming part-time and to see how Angus manages manages a suckler herd um, alongside a full-time job as well. So maybe you might give the 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 air code there, Mihal, and the the time and the date of it again. So it's on in Tulira Ardrahan. The air code is H nine one TP D two. We will have it signposted. Uh, off the main road and it's on this Friday March the 3rd at 2pm so it'll run from probably 2 to 4pm so hopefully yeah it's open to the public and we're hoping to get a good crowd on the day So next up we're delighted to have uh, Michael Egan so Michael uh, works as the owner of uh, Mega Fab Limited Um, so Michael you're very welcome on to uh, Country Life Um, you're the owner of the Galway based company Mega Fab I suppose you might tell us a little bit about yourself and maybe what your company does Hi of course Keith and thanks a million for having me on yeah Mega Fab was established in 2019 uh, after uh, I suppose a visit out to the family farm one day. I um, I was with my brother. We were going fencing, and he said, uh, "Before we went out, he said, well, you, I, I'm going to throw some nuts here to the bullocks.'" So as he was coming up out of the bin that he had, he was complaining about it, and uh, I said, "What what's wrong with it?" And he said, "Well, sure, you can't get the last of the feed out of the bin when it's nearly empty." Mm. And I looked at the bin because I had been involved in manufacturing them for all my life. I was in the plastics game since I was 17 years of age. And uh, I looked at the bin for, for the first time from the, for, with the user's perspective. Uh, before that, I'd be looking at it to see how do we get up in the machine and take cost out or time out or whatever. But And uh, it just got into my head that, you know, there's a problem here and a, a problem that can be solved. So I sat down and started writing down the list of problems that were with all the bins that are on the market. And, and I said, right, I'm going to design a product that solves uh, all of the issues, you know, some of them wouldn't fit in a standard AP4 trailer. Some of them it's hard to close the lids on them. Some of them the lids are in the next parish, you have a bit of wind. So, but the biggest problem obviously was access. And uh, I said, we have to find some way of, um, you know, making it easier for the farmer to, to get the last of the feed out of the bin. Because some farmers, you know, be not, not being able to clean the bin out fully, were leaving feed in the bottom of the bin. And obviously that goes rank and, and, uh, contaminates the, the the new batch as it goes in. So it was in front of the drawing board, got a, an engineer on board to, to help me and uh, did some drawings and we decided on a final product and uh, the tipsy bin was born. So that we, were, we, we started sale, we started selling just prior to COVID in 2019 and um, thankfully it has, has been well received by the farming community and, and it's flying it at the moment. It's also, I suppose, um, very hygienic, really, in in terms of uh, farm sheds and yards, and that you know sometimes I suppose crows or mice or rats can be pecking at bags and stuff as well, uh, Michael. Yeah, well, what we found actually since uh, the price of feed went up, um, more farmers are buying in bulk in the bulk bag, and 
you bring the bug bag into the into the shed and whatever, and you come out the next day, you discover a hole in it where the the rats have have uh, had a good lunch for themselves, so or the crows have coming in or whatever. So obviously there's two problems there. Obviously the price of the feed, and and you don't want to be feeding the rodents of the country. But secondly, obviously as you say, is the risk of uh, of uh, disease, and we all know how, how dangerous rats and rats are, you know. So if you empty your bug bag into the into the tipsy bin, put the lid on it. Um, you know, it also gives you additional storage because you can actually store the bin outside, and it won't uh, the, the feed won't come to any harm. And it's very easy to transport the bin either with a bale handler or with the panaflex. So you know it does. It's very easy to move it around the place. You know. Yeah, I suppose if a farmer had, would say, land down a road, or maybe that might be a few fields away from the yard, you could leave it there. It's very handy, and you know, I suppose with Galway as well, there's a lot of part-time farmers in Galway, so a lot of farmers are maybe rushing in the morning or the evening to feed cattle or sheep or whatever it may be or horses. So it's it's yeah. handy that way too, I suppose, Michael. Yeah, it is. Yeah, look at the um, we designed them in. Uh, in such a way that if you want to keep it away uh, from the house or from the farm farmyard, some people have out farms as they call them, and uh, we can actually even put a lock on the bin as an optional extra. You know, it's a, it uh, makes keeps the bin secure. Um, as as I suppose not so much from farmers stealing the feed out of it, but uh, I had one customer down in Kerry who told me that um, it was what they were. A neighbor, his his uh, neighbors would put into the bin, rather than what they take out of it. <laughs> it's a uh, it does give you that extra bit of uh, security if you if you can lock the bin, you know. But the the main feature of the bin is the fact that as you take the feed out of the, I will call it the high side of the bin, uh, and take the weight out of there, the bin will actually tip over, and lowers the entry point down to about two foot. And it makes it very easy to access the feed then. And you also have a nice flat area for working off with your bucket or your scoop or whatever. So it um, we tried to solve all of the problems when we were at it, you know. And would uh, have you varied out with, say, I suppose, you know, it's not solely used for meal either. I suppose you could, people could use it for maybe firewood or turf or that for for houses or that or stored in briquettes or that. Are you finding that other people are using them for different things as well as feed? Yeah, um I, I suppose towards the before Christmas there, back towards uh, October, November last year, when the oil was at an all-time high, um, we got it. We sold a lot of bins, uh, you know, for as you say, for firewood or for turf. Um, people were people ring up, and they, they, we normally sell it with a standard green lid, but uh, we can put a black lid on it to make it more like a normal bunker or whatever that you'd have. But the fact that you can pick it up, bring it down the yard, fill it with the firewood, and drop it outside the back door makes it uh, makes it very convenient, you know. And if you've if the the bin is over a cubic meter, so if you have that filled with firewood, it's going to keep your keep your keep the fire going for for a good week anyway, presumably. But uh, you know, it's great great security to have to have, to have so close to the back door, you know. And how can farmers maybe see pictures or videos or find out more about uh, the bin, Michael? Yeah, I suppose. Our, the first port of call would be our website. Um, it's at uh, megafab.ie. Um, now, we also have social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok. The end of them, I suppose, are on oh it. And, uh, and also, we find uh, Dundee is, is, uh, is a good source as well for uh, people. Uh, you know, yeah, there's links to videos there. Uh, if you go to some of the Dundee lads, brings you to our, to our YouTube channel, which... Uh, shows the bin in action and how it works. You know, sometimes it's hard enough to 
a picture of the tipsy part of it. But uh, when you see the video, it's, you know, it's, it's very simple, really, you know. Very good. So that's uh, Mega Fab Limited, and the product is the Tipsy Bin. Um, so, uh, Michael, you might give a mention to the, the website again just before. Uh, yeah, it's uh, www.megafab.ie. Very good. So, Michael Egan, and you're a Galway based company as well, which is great to hear. Yeah, we're down here in East Galway, in Glenamedy. And uh, I have to say, the, the farmers around Galway have been very supportive of, of their product. And as uh, we, we've got, um, not only have we got new business, but we've also got repeat business from from uh, from farmers, which is great. You know, it, it gives you great courage that the, you have a good product when uh, a farmer has the product for six months and comes back looking for a second one, you know. Very good, very good, very good. Look, Michael, it was lovely talking to you. Uh, thanks for coming on Country Life. So that's it this week from Country Life. We hope you enjoyed the show. And if there are any queries about this week's topics or if you'd like a topic covered, uh, please don't hesitate to email me on countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie. So that's countrylife at galwaybayfm.ie. So for me, Keith Fahey, thank you for listening. Um, and until next Tuesday evening, uh, we hope you have a lovely evening. And next up is Melodies, followed by The Night Fly with Donald Mahan.